Entrepreneurs can get stuck in their head, challenged by their thoughts, the voice in their head, and their beliefs. We chat with successful entrepreneurs who share their journey and the lessons learned along the way. The Ad Valued Entrepreneurs podcast is edutaining, leaving you with actionable advice to transform your life and create a thriving business that aligns with your values and goals. Our conversations are for entrepreneurs who want more freedom and fulfillment from their work so they can live the life they desire. You deserve it. It is possible. It's time for you to add value. Our guests today are John David Mann and his wife, Anna Gabriel Mann. John David Mann is co-author of more than 30 books, including four New York Times bestsellers and five national bestsellers, including The Go-Giver, co-authored with Bob Burke, which has sold over a million copies and won the 2017 Now Book Awards Evergreen Medal for its contributions to positive global change. He's married to Anna and considers himself to be the luckiest man in the world. Anna Gabriel Mann holds a master's degree in clinical psychology and dance movement therapy from Antioch, New England, where she specialized in working with adults and family therapy. In addition to her work in family therapy and Five Secrets Marriage Coaching, she has been clinical director for a program for people with Alzheimer's disease, co-founded New England's first college of Chinese medicine, and worked as a corporate consultant, speaker, trainer, and coach. John and Anna have been dreaming about writing The Go-Giver Marriage together for nearly two decades. The book will be released in March of 2022. John and Anna Mann share about working together on their book, The Go-Giver Marriage. In a good relationship, you let go of the scorecard and you allow the other person to be themselves. John shares about mentors and how they played a role in his journey. Together, they want to change the state of marriage in the world by equipping couples to have better relationships. But John and Anna, thank you so much for joining us today. We are so excited to have this opportunity to talk with you about your work together and, of course, about your new book. So happy to be here. Thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> so obviously, our our goal is is sharing the journey, right? Sharing the experience of work. And so... Would you mind sharing a little bit about your work and, and the choice to make the decision to work together? <laughs> sure. I'll start with this only because I, I was, you know, I wrote this little book with Bob Berg called The Go-Giver, uh, which some of your listeners may know about. Uh, and that was well over a decade ago. Actually, it was the, the first draft, first rough draft of the book, years before it got published, came rolling off my desktop printer in 2005. So we're talking about, you know, getting close to 20 years ago. Wow. And <clears throat> when that book came rolling off the printer, Anna read the first draft. She's my first reader for everything I write. I've published over 30 books and she's been my first and best reader for, for all of them. Um, this is the first time she's come around the other side of the desk and, be, and been a writer now, We've, our first book together. But she read that first draft and said, this would make an amazing book about marriage and relationships. And we've been dreaming about it ever since. Please. Absolutely. And I had, you know, my background is as a therapist and I had watched people come into therapy and, and you know, butt heads and not get anywhere and just want permission to call it quits. And I had also, um, you know, I'd published in other journals, clinical journals on, on psychology and on different, different, uh, avenues, but I, this was my first effort at writing a book. 
with John and you know, we didn't know what we were getting into. And it was, it was an amazing journey together. Um, you know, he's undoubtedly just gifted at writing parables. I mean, he's written so many, even beyond the Go-Giver books, you know, The Latte Factor with David Bach, and um, Out of the Maze, which is the second book of Who Moved My Cheese with Spencer Johnson, and other books that have just been brilliant and beautiful. So the, the parable, I think, is the very best one he's ever written. Um, but we also really wanted to create a half of it that was just about the practice. How do you take these five secrets and put them to work in your marriage? Oh, that's so good. <clears throat> so what was the process like um, working together? How did you decide wh what role or, or what parts you would play? Well, I thought I would take the consonants and she could do the vowels. No, it didn't. <laughs> Not, that wasn't real. That wasn't really it. Um, I mean, it sort of is, but because you know the book is in two halves. As Anna said, the first half is called the parable, and that's a story. Um, and then the second half is called the practice. And we uh, decided somewhere along the line that the second half was going to be a sort of a full-fledged guidebook. And this is really Anna's area. Anna is just a brilliant therapist. This has been her passion for her whole professional, her whole adult life is helping people have richer relationships and have richer lives, you know, really through their relationships. So it, 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 the, the tasks were fell to us pretty naturally. I, I primarily wrote the parable with input and, and, and thoughts from Anna. She primarily wrote the practice with input and thoughts from me. Um, the thing that was tricky, was interesting for us was we had to critique each other's writing. And writing is a very personal thing when somebody critiques your writing it's like it's like they're, they're they're telling you about your baby how does your baby look i hope that you like it <laughs> and our job was to help each other get better so that was that was a new thing for us to to be critiquing each other's writing and it it was just a fabulous experience we just adored every minute of it agree well, like on all points <laughs> Well, I can say that uh, I just wrote my first book and having my wife read it was was challenging. And I questioned myself. She's trying to help me make it better. Why am I taking all of these edits so personally? And yes. And then I let and then I let it out to 10 other people to let them read it. And I woke up that morning, said, I just sent 10 people my manuscript that I'm not sleeping with. And I'm really concerned. <laughs> was that harder or easier? Were those ten people's input more easy, more difficult, or was it easier? I I think it was easier because I'd already I I figured out how to let it go. I see. Good for you. So, yeah. but it was an interesting process, I will say. Um, and I I love my wife dearly. Obviously, we've we've been together for over thirty years now, and so. We, we are truly partners. And, and so her, her goal always is to help make me better. And sometimes I get in my own way. <laughs> I think you just said, you just described marriage beautifully. By yes. the way, you also just described the relationship of writer and editor. <laughs> um, you know, I think a big part of the secret to being a successful writer is learning how to take critique. Mm. And you can't, there's no point saying don't take it personally. You can't not. You can't not take it personally. It is personal, but you have to learn how to transcend that. And and marriage is, I think you're so right. Marriage is all about 
becoming a better person. This person that you love, that you've chosen to, to walk with is her job or his job in life is to make you a better person. <laughs> well, I mean, we take that from scripture and we take our company name from scripture. So, you know, encourage one another and build each other up is, is what we hold as our highest value. And so definitely uh, take that seriously in, in our marriage. And then of course, in our business. And so need to take it seriously in my book <laughs> as well. So number two. Number two. <clears throat> what is the foundation of your five secrets to lasting love and where did they come from? Uh, sure. I'll be happy you to. or me, you go ahead. <laughs> well, honestly, you know, they're, they're, they're biblical in nature. They're also based on developmental theory in terms of the psychology of who we are from infancy to adulthood. What is it that creates us, sustains us, and takes us forward? And, you know, when a child watches their parents bicker and argue and watches possible violence or things like that, it has an enormous impact on a child. And that child will grow up and carry those experiences into their marriage. Now, they may repeat them, and they may choose to shift them and change them. Um, but everybody arrives at a marriage with a lot of suitcases, if you will, <laughs> filled with the baggage of their emotional history. And so one of the things that we we're really trying to address is not only generosity and giving, but um, gratitude, hmm. you know, just I mean, it's kind of like the difference between making a prayer that's a gimme gimme and making a prayer that's really a prayer that's a praise and gratitude prayer. You know, you, you can choose the tone. You know, you, you can either pray for, you know, I really, really need this, or you can pray for thanks and to be thankful and to be appreciative and to be, um, you know, understanding that where the gifts come from. So when we're in a marriage, if we're, you know, if we're able to give to our partner really fully and not with the expectation of receiving back, you know, so that it's not conditional, then it changes the tone of the marriage in every way. So each secret is very different than the others. Each one is unique, but they all come from that basis. I also want to add that we wanted these, as we were kind of crafting these five, all the Go-Giver books are based on five five things, right? Five principles. As we were crafting these five, uh, uh, we wanted them to be genuinely simple, easy to do, practical, practicable, everyday things, not some, you know, life-shaking, shattering, dramatic, you know, go to the mountaintop for three months and pay $90,000 and change your whole life. No little things you can do every day you know and in, in the first go-giver book there's this condition where you have to put in practice each law the day that you learn it you, joe has to do that or or because meetings with pindar are over we didn't say that specifically in this book but it's the same idea these are simple things you can actually do every day without disrupting your life without changing who you are without having a revolution it, you can even do it if only one of the two of you is really on board because let's be practical. That's often the situation. You know, frequently you're in a situation where there's a couple and 
marriage is not all it could be. It isn't even what it once was, or there's just something not, you know, something is missing. Or, and only one person is really wanting to take the initiative. That's just how things are. So we wanted to we wanted to write to that, to speak to that, address that, and that's that's really what we did. You can, one person in the couple can begin applying these five secrets every day, and it's going to make a difference for both. And go, go ahead. And frequently we find that um, the one person applying the secrets, the marriage will start to shift, and the person who's receiving all the all the the gifts, if you will, the the giving, um, will suddenly really be feeling better, you know, better yeah. about the marriage, better about themselves. I mean, it, there's just so many levels to it. And what happens is that we find that the other, the second partner often joins in and yeah. reads the book and gets directly involved in, you know, making the changes and bringing the secrets to life mm. back to their spouse. And we've just seen marriages transform from it. And we've even seen in some churches, men's groups, where the men will hold hold each other accountable for act, you know, acting on the secrets in their relationship. And so it's it's very powerful to watch when that happens because then there's that that person outside saying, you know, how many times did you appreciate your wife today? Yeah, so good. So let's talk a little bit about your your own personal experience. Um, we talk about the power of gratitude in a way of elevating character and elevating your your vibration, your connection to the world. Would hmm. you share your your personal experience with gratitude as a as a value in your own life? Oh gosh, you know it's funny. Uh, um, here's there's so many lovely ways to to, to, to come back to that. I, my mind is teeming with possibilities. But I'll say I'll say one thing. Um, you know, this is this is not my first marriage, and uh, you know, we once got the question: Well, so how, is it is it awkward to be writing a book about lasting love when you had a marriage that didn't last? And you know, my answer is no, not at all. It's you know, it's fantastic. It, it's like I used to teach entrepreneurism. That was my that's I've been an entrepreneur my whole life. I used to teach about sales and business and leadership in business. That was my focus. Well, I had a business once that went bankrupt, and you know what? So did most famous entrepreneurs, you know, the, the Elon Musk's and, and uh, Richard Branson's and, and Steve Jobs of the world. Uh, failure and bankruptcy is a very well-known entity. <laughs> I think it's failure, it, it's a tool. Failure is a magnificent teacher. It is also magnificent fuel for gratitude. Um, mm. I, coming into my relationship with Anna, I don't take anything for granted. Um, she broke her knee horribly many years ago. She broke her knee in, I think, 24, 21 places. It was just like this massive shattering of, of bone. And she couldn't walk for months and months. And th there was some doubt at one point whether she'd ever really walk again. Well, she did, and she does, and she's healed. But I will tell you, every day I get up out of bed in the morning and I start walking and I go, <gasps> I am walking on these legs. This is unbelievable. And we both walk across the room and say, oh, we just walked. You know, these little things that we take for granted in life. This food tastes magnificent. That tea is so delicious. I love waking up in the morning and the first thing I see is her smile. It's just, you know, these are, it's so important to appreciate these little things because they are the stuff of life. It doesn't get any bigger than that. 
they are what life is, is built of. And sure. gratitude is a mindfulness practice. Again, it comes back to, you know, are you choosing to say thank you to your life and thank you to the things that are just that you take for granted every day around you? Or are you, you know, constantly keeping score, not only <clears throat> with your spouse, but with the people around you, with your children, with your, you know, other people at church or in all aspects of your life, you can be your boss, you know, you can be keeping score in so many ways. And keeping score is, is sort of an empty bucket, if you will. It's an endless experience of pouring water into the bucket, and it just goes right out the bottom. You know, it's, it's not going to get you anywhere. And it, all it does is add negativity to your life, and keep you in the place of having your arms folded and being like, life is not fair and I'm not getting what I deserve. You know, I think that when people enter a marriage, if they're, if that little scorekeeper is alive and well, then you're constantly looking for ways to keep score with your spouse. And I think that a lot of, for a lot of couples, it's an easy place to fall into. <clears throat> you know, it's like, hey, I did the dishes three times this week. Don't you think it's your turn? <laughs> you know? Or how, you know, I, I mean, I joke with some of my um, women friends and, and clients about, you know, well, do you stand at the door with your hands on your hips saying, you know, how come you don't bring me flowers anymore? You know, it's like you could approach it that way or you could choose the tone of, you know, appreciating what your spouse does and in the littlest ways um, and seeing the fruits of that. And I want to make a point about that because here's the thing. You're going to keep track. You can't help it. It's, it's human. It's something we do. We tabulate our experience. We observe. We, we track. You're going to keep track because when two people coexist in a space, you have sort of the flashlight of your attention on the other person, spotlight of your, of your view. You can't help it. What you can choose is what's the tone of your keeping track. So what we want to give people is the tools to keep track through the lens of positivity. In other words, I am going to watch my wife today. I'm going to watch her and find five things or maybe even three things that I can appreciate out loud to her. I can praise her for, I can say, thank you for this. One of the first exercises in the book is find three things each day about your, about your partner that you love and then take a moment to tell them. Well, if my mind is busy looking for opportunities, looking to fill out my scorecard of three things, my, my little roster of three things I'm going to appreciate, it's not going to have time to keep track of the fact that she, you know, she didn't do this or she, she I had to do that. Or it's a positive scorecard. <laughs> we say throw out the scorecard. Instead, you're investigating positivity. You're investigating appreciation. You're investigating gratitude. And that, that gives your mind something wonderful to do. Oh, absolutely. I think there's a couple of things. Um, for some reason, the scorecard typically becomes the marriage becomes this, right? We're keeping track yes. of, of points yeah. or keeping track of the irritations and even the irritations that have Wrongs. been forgiven. And, and when you forgive an irritation, it's supposed to go away. But yeah. I, I think one of the things that have helped Noel and I was we were always committed to be, to be holding hands on the journey and, and never, never against each other, right? It's her and I against the world. It's her and I against this this outside force. And I think that attitude has has always helped us. 
And the other way you mentioned the scorekeeping um, is the game that a lot of couples play, end up playing in, and you know, the tit for tat, right? Uh, well, I did the dishes, so I, we should have sex or yeah. I took out the trash and did this extra thing. And so I should get this extra, extra behavior back. Um, and I think that's another place where scorekeeping can become so dangerous. But the thought life piece you mentioned, as far as gratitude and personal thinking, right? Our commitment has always been to never assume, never assume the negative, right? And so when I have negative thoughts swirling about my wife in my head, I I have turned those around and say, wait a minute, she would never she would never do that, right? So it's always the assume the positive, which is of course one of your, <laughs> your yes. teachings in there, and I think that. Like you said, we're always going to keep track. And so keeping track of the positives and always putting a positive spin on things can be so, so powerful and so helpful to a relationship, but also to your own thought life, right? We, we tend to assume the negative so often in our own thoughts and allow that negative to swirl around and become something that it's not. You know, the example I use for when I counsel couples was always, you know, you make an assumption when you walk out the door and she didn't kiss you goodbye. And yes. So you spend the whole day with this assumption in your head saying, well, why didn't she kiss me goodbye? Well, she's mad at me. Yeah. She must be upset about this, that, the other thing. And all day long, that machine's around without ever asking the question, you know, are you upset with me? And of course, today we can communicate at such a, a different level, you know, than we've ever been able to before. But he spends those eight hours machining that around in his head and stomps in the front door at the end of work. And what happens? We have a fight. Of course they do, because he's created this thing all individually in his own head and comes home with an attitude and stomps in the door. And she's going to respond to his entrance in defense. And yeah. of course, it creates exactly what it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy of yeah. thought. And so I love helping people turn their thoughts around and stop those, right? The minute you get that thought that says, oh, she must be mad at me, you either have to ask the question or you have to let it go. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. <clears throat> I just going to add to what you just said, which is, and if she is irritated, it's so easy to assume it's because of me. <laughs> and, and then and then I get defensive. It's like, well, what's she so, so what's she so irritated about? What I didn't do anything wrong. And now I'm feeling like, okay, I want to tell her I didn't do anything wrong. I'm not the bad guy here. I invented this. Actually, what she's irritated about is that she's exhausted because she couldn't sleep well last night or she had a pro it's got nothing to do with me. So <laughs> that you know, so we 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 like to 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 have the, the whole you know the whole strategy of when in doubt, assume it's not about you. When in doubt assume that it's about something else. And you know, what you're here for is just to be supportive. Well, that willingness to ask the question, right? Yeah. Like, well, you seem a little off. Can you share with me what's going on? Yeah. yeah. Rather than assuming that it's you. Yeah. Sure. So I ask each of you, which is your favorite of the five secrets and why? Mm -hmm. I'm going to let you go first, John. <laughs> Are you really? Okay. Uh -huh. All right. Um, you know, as we said, there are five secrets in the book. And as Anna said, they're, they're each unique. And, and, you know, we love them all like, like five children, right? <laughs> Hard to have a favorite. But I, we were just kind of talking about it. I, I have a fondness for the, for the secret we call allowing. 
Mm. It's not as obvious as some of the others. It's a little more subtle. And uh, allowing is often something that I think doesn't come up necessarily early in the relationship. It's something that kind of appears more and more as time goes by. Allowing is just what we were talking about. It's giving the other person the benefit of the doubt, giving the other person space, giving the other person time. In the scenario we were just talking about, Robert, you were saying, you know, you may want to say, you seem irritated. Can, can I ask you what's up with that? And yet, sometimes they don't really want to say right now. Sometimes the what you find is what you need to do is just give them time, give them space and not even ask. Uh, or you ask and they're not really answering. And so you say, okay, you know what? I'm not going to ask anymore right now. I'm going to kind of let her just be with that. And I'm just going to be here drying the dishes, straightening out the stuff, whatever, doing my thing and staying out of her way, but letting her know that I'm still here. It That's allowing. Allowing is allowing your spouse to be the person they are, to be the way they are, um, and, and not trying to mold them or correct them or fix them or change how they're behaving to fit what we think they should be they should be doing right now. And and I would add to that just to say, and going back to the broken leg, um, mm. you know, I broke my leg. I was supposed to take my mother to the garden center. I, um, my whole day got wrecked. <laughs> I, um, and I, I wanted to believe it was just something that was going to be that I'd get over really quickly. But in fact, I didn't walk for over a year. Wow. And they don't cast your knee when you break it because they have to keep it moving, which makes it incredibly painful. I mean, it's considered one of the most painful breaks. But my point is that John instantly, the day it happened, had to take over cooking dinner because there was no way, even with crutches, that I could stand up for 45 minutes to an hour and be in the kitchen cooking and working on things. So. You know, John could have sat around pouting. He could have ordered takeout every night. He could have done a lot of things. But what he did was he made dinner every night. He cleaned up the dishes and he never said a word. He never made me feel bad about it. And I was just really focused on trying to heal so that I could get back into life. But allowing is the real moment in a marriage vow of in sickness and in health. <clears throat> because there are going to be those moments when your spouse is ill and you can't, because your spouse has just developed the early stages of Alzheimer's, doesn't believe you can just decide that, well, you've, you're done now. You don't want to keep taking care of them. You know, it's like there's going to be moments in every marriage especially a committed long distance, long-term marriage where one or the other of you is not well. And the other person has to not only allow for that, they have to pick up the slack. Absolutely. Um, I've experienced both of those. <laughs> my, both my, sides. <laughs> well, my mother, my mother has oh. Alzheimer's. And so we're, we're dealing with dad, with yeah. dad and, and, caring yeah. for dad and caring for her and then and then my wife had a aortic dissection this last year and oh. and 
it's basically a 50 percent survival rate and so on the on the gratitude and thankfulness side i'm, I'm very very sympathetic like wow my my mantra to to myself and was you know never take any another day for granted right? yeah. and so you know waking up just waking up and still having her is is so important <laughs> to me a miracle and knowing that knowing that we still have work to do right yeah that, that's yeah. my my thing is never take a day for granted and we still have work to do and, I, and i'm so grateful and and for me and i assume the same for john whatever i had to do right whatever i had to step up and yeah. laundry and vacuuming and 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 whatever it didn't it didn't matter i'm going to do it because that's what we need to do to that she doesn't need the pressure of of all that stuff right <laughs> and and it was a it was a pleasure and i remember noel apologized to me mm. in the midst of her recovery and 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 I asked, well, what are you apologizing for? Because obviously she had no influence. She had no pre-existing <laughs> conditions. She had no, she didn't plan this by living poorly. Like this was this yeah. was sudden and and completely still off the chart. We have no idea why um, it's it happened. But when she apologized, I, I, I was taken aback a bit. And and for her, it was because everything changes now. Yeah. And and in my mind whether whether she makes a hundred percent recovery or not nothing changed maybe our destinations change but the journey side by side we're going to figure it out right and we're just do whatever whatever we're called to do we're still doing it together and and so i know that you guys feel the same way and that whether you know whether on a walked again or not you'd figure out what does life look like and how do we make it work and and how do we change our journey around each other because that's really what our commitment is is we're committed to the journey together and it it may change our journey it may change you know the things that we're we can do together but we're still going to do whatever we can together that's beautiful that's fantastic and you, yes. we will be right back after this short break this episode is sponsored by add value to life coaching want to learn the mindset secrets of successful entrepreneurs that have been shared on our podcast well, you can get them for free at addvaluemindset.com, addvaluemindset.com. Welcome back. Let's get back to more greatness. Ana mentioned the marriage vows and sickness and health. There's also this thing of richer and poorer. Remember this part? <laughs> Absolutely. Fin financial stress. Financial stress is, as you know, is such a common denominator of stress in a marriage. And I don't think that financial financial hardship is really the root of marital problems but it is the context for an awful lot of marital problems and it's 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 a very similar thing it's a similar thing to having a broken knee we've got a broken checkbook you know it, it's it's um it, it's the kind of thing that frequently traditionally of course the man was always the one responsible for finances and that's changed somewhat in, in our modern world now now it may be a divided responsibility regardless it's really easy to feel guilty mm. when finances are crashing or when they're difficult. It's really easy to talk about apologizing. Um, and it's also really easy to hold resentment um, with the other. And this, this is a situation for poor finances where it's so important to capture that spirit of allowing. It doesn't mean that everything's lovely. It doesn't mean this isn't distress. 
It doesn't mean that we're just fine, you know, with the struggle. No, we're not fine with the struggle. We ate the struggle. We don't want the struggle. But you know what? It's it's not like you did this to me and I did this to you. We're going through this together. And you've used the word together a lot talking about your marriage. And that's the deal. That's what it is. It's the usness. Uh, Anna has this beautiful way of describing this, which is the usness of the marriage. Um, there's a diagram in the book with two circles and they and there's an overlap of like a ellipse in the in the middle and that that's that's the usness of our marriage and you're either feeding it or you're starving it mm, that's so good i love feeding it or starving it absolutely and to go to my favorite secret i mean i i actually have several but i will tell you that i'll come back to the appreciation because i really believe that words of praise and appreciation are food for people, that none of us grew up under parents that constantly praised us and gave us all kinds of positive direction. Um, and some people grew up under parents who were critical and abusive and absolutely mean and cruel. I mean, I've, I've had clients whose parents were alcoholics and they never even ate supper until nine or 10 at night because their parents were not navigating. Um, and, you know, when you live in that kind of a household, you know, you're happy to get out and be an adult just to get away from it. But it doesn't mean the wounds aren't there. And so when people get words of praise, it builds their very essence. It builds their spirit. It's like if you could realize in every moment that God really loves you mm. and really sees the best in you and wants the best for you. That's what happens when you infuse somebody with words of praise and appreciation. They just feel a sense of, oh, okay. And it might be that they're that underneath all of that, they're like, wow, I'm glad you think I'm I'm good at what I do because I don't I feel this big right now and I don't feel very good at what I do. And having your vote of confidence makes my day just feel so much better. Um, but consistently used. Words of praise, whether it's in child rearing or in a marriage, are, are some of the most powerful things that you can do for your spouse. Yeah, I absolutely think we don't praise near enough. In fact, I shared with my daughter today that, that she has a five-year-old and she's one year into a new marriage. And, and the, the combination of those things at this point is challenging. <laughs> Um, oh yeah to bring you know, to bring two parenting styles to together and and so my comment to her was you you need to praise your son and you need to praise your husband and and looking for those things to praise rather than getting caught up in you don't like how he does this or you don't like how he does that or you don't <laughs> and it's kind of the keeping score but but the opposite is let's keep a positive score right let's let's find yeah. ways to praise and and find ways to see the good in in both your son and your husband yes. at the same time and it just relieves your heart <laughs> and here's the beauty of this too is when when you it's sort of the principle of human economics when you give someone appreciation when you make the effort and you give them that you don't get diminished by that you get built up by that you not only build up the other person, you get built up. You're happier. You feel better. It's 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 the opposite of what our instinct tells us, which is that if I give you something, I'll have less. 
right? That we had that experience when we were two. We had a toy and the other kid wanted to play with the toy and he took the toy and now I don't have the toy. We tend to still think that way as adults. Like, I'm not going to give you attention because that I won't have as much. I don't, I can't give you five minutes because then I won't have those five minutes. Uh, 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 it doesn't work that way. It's the opposite. It's the Pindar principle, right? From the Go-Giver books. The more you give, the more you have. It's miraculous. But but it works that way. And, and, and that's the tragedy of the scorecard and of, of, the, of the habitual criticizing and habitual complaining is that you think you're, you're picking on the other person and you're actually also, you're picking yourself. You're picking yourself apart. You think you're diminishing them, you're diminishing yourself. Mm. Um, so yeah, these are these are not only given to the other person, but in the process you give to yourself. And it, it comes it comes back to that scorecard again, too, you know, of you know, people keep score with God. You know, I prayed for a raise and I didn't <laughs> get it, you know. Um, and they do the same thing in a marriage. And it's it forgive me for making this analogy, but it is that little child inside each one of us that's just pouting and having a little internal tantrum it's it's so much easier to quiet that child down by saying hey it's going to be okay yeah. and and putting your focus on the other person instead of on yourself yeah so we all want our picture on the fridge right <laughs> we all want mom and dad saying hey good job uh, i i think that's so powerful the, the abundance yeah. example, especially with emotions, right? Why do we put this limitation on, on emotions? And my, my daughter told her son she was going to steal grandpa's hug because she wanted it for herself. And, and in her mind, she was, you know, just trying to get him to, yeah. you know, hey, hug grandpa or, or I'm going to go take it. And, and in my mind, I said, wait, that's a limitation. There's no limit to grandpa <laughs> hugs. Grandpa hugs are unlimited. They are absolutely... <laughs> There's an unlimited supply available for everyone else. And, and I think with love and, and energy and emotion, we feel like there's limitation. And praise and these positive attributes are actually multipliers of, yeah. of that yes. energy. Yeah. And so the, the more you use them, the more they multiply for the person that's receiving them and for yourself. And so that's so, so valuable. Yeah. Yeah, I, I forget which one of us, which one of us was it who said this. It might have been you. It might have been Anna. It might have been, <laughs> and, but but one of us said something about you know. I think it was Anna who said that you might be feeling this big at the moment, right? In these in these difficult circumstances, I think one of the things that this is actually out of another secret in the book, but one of the things that we give to each other, which makes these stresses of life so much more possible to get through, so much more possible to deal with, to, to endure, to survive, is that we believe in each other totally. We have this sort of unshakable foundation of rock solid belief, rock solid faith in the other person. And that doesn't mean that we don't see each other's foibles and weaknesses, right? I mean, I have my weak areas, Anna has her weak areas, and we, and we, we know them intimately, we know them well. <laughs> there, there are things that I'm just not that good at. Um, and, and there are circumstances where I, I, I get emotional, or I get flustered, or I, you know, we're not perfect. That's not, the, that's not what I'm saying. It's that regardless of what's going on, regardless of the circumstance, there's this unshakable core of faith in the other person. Mm. And it, it has, for, I'll speak personally, for me, it kind of took me years 
even though I got that from her almost as soon as we met because we sort of felt that about each other. It took me years to really sort of trust it mm. and get that, yeah, I mean, she believes in me. She loves me. This is like, nothing's going to change that. It's, it's unshakable. It's unconditionable, unconditional, <laughs> uncontestable. It's like what Anna said earlier about, you know, God, God loves you no matter what. That's what it's like with another person. When you have that, and by the way, when you express that to the other person, when the other person knows you have that because you've made it really clear again and again and again and again, man, you can weather anything. You can weather anything. Hmm. So agree. <laughs> the storms of the tree. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. The storms of the tree. Yeah. I mean, my life as a writer, I've had many failures as a writer. And you know, I do podcast interviews and people know I'm New York Times bestselling and all these, all these books. Yeah, that's all true. But I've also had books that failed and books that didn't work and books that never got published and situations where the writer was, was you know, was, was, was nutty and we had to split, our, split ways before the book was done. And I've had a lot of heartache in the writer's world. And there have been times when the fact that Anna would tell me you're an amazing writer. You're so talented. I would go like, really? You think so? Because all the evidence was not telling me that at the moment. Still happens. Still happens. It'll always happen. We're vulnerable. We're human. Well, and the evidence that you're focusing on, right? It yeah. feels different than the evidence that, that Anna was obviously focusing on because she knows your potential and she knows the very best. And, and, I feel exactly how you feel <laughs> about my partner and, yeah. and friend and and my biggest encourager and and she absolutely taught me more about unconditional love than anyone else on the planet and it took me a long time to catch up <laughs> so um, <laughs> absolutely understand that and and I'm so grateful um, for that but for books like this that are teaching others how to have that same experience and and step into it um, pretty easily, right? I think the the practices of the five secrets are are fairly simple, and 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 I know you designed it that way. Yes, but we you talk so much about giving and and the go giver, and we mentioned the idea that that um, giving creates this this energy. Um, so some people might feel like well, they're at the place where if they were giving that much and if I give to that other person all the time, isn't that going to leave me empty? Isn't that going to leave me drained? And I just want to let you speak into that just a little bit more because we know the value of that multiplication. Absolutely. Every, every single time you give, you change every cell in your body. You change your heart you decrease depression, you, um, you live longer. There's a lot of research that's been done that proves that people who um, give and who are volunteering and always doing things for others, people who pray for others, um, these are the people that live longer lives because that goodness is always coming back to them. It always returns. It's like a boomerang. And I think that prayer and thanksgiving go hand in hand. Um, praise and thanksgiving go hand in hand. When you're, when you're using praise as a tool in all your relationships, and especially um, as parents as well, um, you know, we, we really see it where 
you know, when a parent who's constantly praising their child and saying, look at you, you can read that book all by yourself. You know, you're developing somebody who's going to have skills in the world to conquer all kinds of adversity because you've given them a core element of your belief, your belief in them, which is what John was talking about before. Um, with each of the secrets, you know, they're based on principles that are so deep and so real in terms of the way that they will affect you and affect your spouse, your family, your children. Um, you know, many of our clients where both parties in the marriage are practicing the secrets say, well, actually, the thing that you'd be really interested to hear is that our seven-year-old who is having tantrums all the time and who is acting out at school has not only stopped having tantrums, but he's not acting out at school anymore. Mm. And, you know, when you ask them why, they say, well, you know, the only thing we can think of is that the whole tone of the family has changed because we've taken it to a different level. We're not focused on what's wrong. We're not keeping score with each other. We're not bickering about things that don't matter. And our child is really feeling the benefits of it. Oh, so the vibrational, it has an impact. Oh, yeah. the vibrational frequency. Yeah, they've, they've elevated their, their household. And that's such a beautiful, a beautiful thing. And I think of all the children that can be impacted in that way because of these practices, um, especially... Uh, just yeah, the, the power of praise and the power of gratitude. And, and like you said, the, what the house is focused on now shifts completely. When everybody they interact with, because I mean, our interactions affect our grandson when he's here and he gets a different vibe and a different perspective on how yes. to live life than when he's at home. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, yep. absolutely. Huh. So how important is play and fun? Oh, I don't think it's important at all. <laughs> what a great question. It's a great question. I have always felt that it is, it is one of my husband's primary responsibilities in life is to make my wife laugh. I take this very seriously. Not only do I agree, but, um, you know, just like John was saying earlier that he, he recognizes the 11-year-old in me and, and I recognize the 12-year-old in him. And, you know, we we all have this inner child and his inner child tells the goofiest, most wonderful jokes. And, you know, you could, believe be, she laughs. you could be the spouse that rolls your eyes and says, there he goes again. Or you could be the spouse who just laughs and has a really good time. You know, we feel like um, fun is not only important, but it's another gift. And I'll, I'll put it this way, um, whether it's intimacy and that whole scorekeeping thing that you spoke about earlier, whether it's intimacy or whether it's um, a date night or any kind of outing that would be seen as time together to have fun. These are all really important things to keep in the schedule, but to see them as gifts if, if you have to. If you have to twist your own arm and say, I'm going to gift my wife with date night tonight and we're going to sit out on the patio and watch the sunset at our favorite restaurant and have a nice meal together and we're going to have a babysitter and we're going to put the kids with, you know, safely at home and we're just going to go have some fun and take a stroll by the river or the lake or whatever afterwards. You know, it's like those are the things that nourish a relationship. Um, 
and or going to a movie or you know playfully laughing over silly things watching a sitcom together but making time for time together where their emphasis is on laughing having fun and bringing joy to each other and that's why i also mention intimacy it's like if you look at intimacy as a gift why wouldn't you gift it mm. because it's not about score it's not about i have a headache it's not about any of those things it's about making your partner feel loved and received and if you're putting their needs first it's always going to be a joyful experience yeah yeah that is the secret i really think that is the secret that when it comes to to sex and intimacy if you approach that from the from a pindar point of view if you approach that from the point of view of giving how can i give how can i add value to this person's life in this intimate situation rather than what can i get out of this situation you know when do i get mine well you know the thing is what happens is you're you're in a giving place they're in a giving place because that's what happens naturally and 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 the rising tide raises all the ships mm. and i want to add a word about fun too which is that i think it's also really important that each one of you individually is having fun with your life it's mm. like life can become a drudgery drudgery being the opposite of fun it's really important that you're having fun in a big way with your life that is you're finding some way that your life feeds your passion, feeds your aspiration, feeds your your deepest values, if you want to say it that way, that you're having fun with your life. Because if you're not, if life is kind of a drudgery for you, then you're you're going to automatically be not as interesting to your partner. I mean, they mm -hmm. can't help it. When you're excited about your life, when you have latched onto something that is really that, that you just are passionate about. And that doesn't matter whether it could be your career, it could be a, a hobby, it could be a, a, a side practice, could, whatever it is, whatever aspect or dimension you find in your life that allows you to just put your teeth in and say, this is really, really, I'm ah, excited about this. <laughs> Suddenly, you know, or, or maybe it isn't sudden, you're an interesting person to your spouse and you just, you just both feed each other on that. Well, it's so good. I think choosing joy, right? Choosing why not choose to have fun and choose joy choose to to be happy in a day and and obviously you're, you're a lot more fun to be around <laughs> and yeah and of course and of course that creates a different a different level of energy well you've mentioned pindar a couple of times and of course the the book is based on the power of mentorship how, how have mentors helped each of you in your growth oh oh that's a great question Please go ahead, John. Oh, me first, huh? Um, yeah, I mean, you know, so many again, so many ideas come to mind. But um, my parents were both just phenomenal mentors to me. Um, mm. I was talking about belief earlier. My mom was that mom who believed in me, you know, unconditionally, and who told me I could do things that that seemed impossible to me. Um, and my, my dad was a phenomenal mentor to me, not only in the way of being a father, but also professionally. He was a conductor, choral conductor and musicologist. And I studied conducting with him and I, and I read his, his doctoral thesis, which was published as a book. And I just kind of learned about books from him and, and I admired him tremendously. Mm. So I, I, you know, as a result of 
life with my parents, I learned at an early age how valuable a mentor is. Um, I've had a, you know, a dozen fantastic mentors in my life, but I, I will say my wife is my mentor in so many ways. I have learned so much from her the years we've been together about everything we're talking about, <laughs> um, about the business of being a human being in relation to other human beings, hmm. about unpacking difficult to understand feelings and understanding what they mean and where they come from and, wh and, wh and where you go with them. Um, I learn from her every day. I, I don't, she, she is the most avid researcher uh, of anybody on the planet that I, that I know. She will chase <laughs> down a question and find out answers that nobody else on the planet seems to know, but she somehow finds them. Um, so, you know, I'm a, I'm a lucky man, fortunate man. Hmm. And Over to you. I would add, I would add to that by saying that uh, you know John and I um, both had parents that were married for their entire life. There were no divorces, no speaking of divorce. So my parents made it 59 years until my dad died, um, right before their 60th anniversary. Um, my father was. They were both a very powerful influence in my life, um, but my father was somebody that. I mean, just loved me unconditionally and always believed in me and always built my spirit in a way that, you know, I was in an unequally yoked marriage the first time I got married. And my parents actually tried to talk me out of it. But I was very young and I thought love would prevail. Um, <laughs> go love. Yeah, go love. Go that's love. Right. Go love. And as time went on, the division, the unequalness of the yoke was so profound that it, it became a really like big divide. And my father was just so there for me. I mean, I really feel like he understood. And, and when it ended, actually just, I thought they would be ashamed of me. I really did because everybody stays married forever. I never went into my marriage thinking I wouldn't be there forever. Yeah. And so I share this only because it was profound for me that day when I went to their house to tell them and my father said, well, I should have broken out the champagne. And <laughs> it was a strange moment because he really was just letting me know that not only was he celebrating that he had witnessed for years the way that we didn't pull together, and how impossible it was because our faith was in two different areas. Um, but also he was just so supportive of me as I moved forward. And the second piece I would add to that is that I've also had many, many mentors. One was my, um, my the professor who was my graduate school, uh, you know, mentor and who took me through my internship and kind of taught me the ropes of being a therapist. And she had tremendous compassion. And she, she said to me once when I was in my 20s, you're not going to realize how good you are for another 30 plus years. So I just want you to relax. And I want you to put that inner critic to bed and just let her go. Because you, you're way too hard on yourself. And your talent is beyond your understanding at this time. And I, I just remember sitting there thinking, I was flabbergasted. So, you know, it's like great mentors are there, 
and people will show up in your life who will bless you because that's how the world works. So good. What is the big dream? It's so big, I could almost cry. Um, the, the big dream is that this book, this little precious parable with a how-to guide in the back will touch so many lives around the world that it will change so many marriages that people who are on the verge of divorce will stay together and thrive and that people will hand it person to person to person to others because it's had such an impact on them. We pray and we hope that this book blesses people for decades and decades to come. Mm, so good. What a, what a fantastic opportunity to uh, put that out into the world. Yeah, I'm just going to say, you know, this has been Anna's dream that, 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 she, she, that she identified and articulated first. And the moment she did identify it and articulate it, I was like, yeah, I'm on board with that. And so I have nothing to add. I mean, it's just, this is a dream we've held for many, many years. And it's just fantastic for both of us. So exciting for both of us that we've finally written it and that it's finally coming out and that it's finally going to be out in the world and available for people. Oh, so fantastic. When's the release date? The release date March. is March 8th. Our website is gogivermarriage.com, www.gogivermarriage.com. Um, and there is a pre-offer, uh, you know, pre-order special offer that will give people two masterclasses that we've pre-recorded um, about diffusing conflict and about what the power of us is. And uh, we're also going to have a, a Zoom meeting. What would you call that, Jana? A fireside uh chat? Fireside chat with a Q&A format. We're going to hold nice. a week after the book comes out. Nice. Fantastic. And if you pre-order the book, then you get a free ticket to that event. Oh, it's only available perfect. for those people. John and Anna, thank you so much for taking the time today to share with us such fantastic wisdom that applies to so many areas, but of course uh, applies to marriage especially. Thank you. It's so great to meet you both. Thank you so yes. much. Yes. If you enjoyed the show, please like, subscribe, or leave a review. We have a free gift for you at addvaluemindset.com. That's addvaluemindset.com. We've collected some of the best mindset secrets shared by successful entrepreneurs on our podcast, and we want to give them to you for free. addvaluemindset.com. In our next episode... Beata Swearin Reed shares about the disadvantages for an immigrant with a heavy accent, and yet she did it anyway. She talks about her monkey mind and the challenges of the imposter voice and the power of journaling. If you love to serve and give to others, add value to the world, you can help people.